It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. It is Tuesday, February the 8th. We're doing it. We're making it. We're making it through the week. Good morning, Jess. How are you? I'm not even mad about this Tuesday because I am warm. You have heat. (laughs) Okay. That was the question. I have heat. I have heat. I was going to bed last night and I was like, this is crazy, but uh, can we turn the thermostat down a little bit? Uh-huh. And we looked at it and we're like, oh, we, we've had it at 85. <laughs> like we right. were so cold that we just turned it up to 85 and uh, and didn't even notice for the rest of the day. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was not fun, not pleasant. Yeah. Don't recommend uh, having a lot of thoughts about how what what wusses our generation is like thinking <laughs> about like, you know, my grandparents. Right. <laughs> like, literally anybody who came before and um man we'd have a hard time explaining how difficult it would <laughs> no no it's it's definitely true but also just even climate emergencies right that oh, happen God. all over the country all the time i mean the people in i-95 or the people yes. in texas um 100 and it's, it's the beginning of february so we have a little bit ways to go. I mean, I don't remember mm-hmm. what the groundhog said, but I know it's still winter and it more winter. Still winter. The groundhog said more winter. So, I mean, it's yeah. February. So, yeah, yeah, it figure. was. Uh, it's it's never like spring right, right. after February second. Right. So I I I don't know. I think the groundhog needs to be adjusted for climate change. Crap. Right. <laughs> because like six we more weeks of winter is like like Based that. Takes, on- I mean. You remember back when, like, it used to snow on Thanksgiving sometimes and March was spring? Like, you remember right. that? Right. That's when that's what it was like when we were little. It's not like that anymore. You yeah. know, now now winter barely starts in December and spring isn't there until May. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, the groundhog needs to readjust. Maybe if we let them sleep longer, they'd stop <laughs> dying before Groundhog Day. I think we should we should we should pay more attention to the groundhogs. I don't know that this is good for them. <laughs> Tiny <mean>, groundhog deaths. <laughs> it is. I even said every time you say it, I picture the, the groundhog with the pennies, and I can't. The groundhog with the pennies holding hold the little carrot together in I'm a sorry, little casket. You guys, you guys, as a teaching moment for I the can't. kids. At least New Jersey, whose groundhog also passed away this year. Um, at least New Jersey did not stage a, a learning moment for the children. They simply canceled the event which is the normal and correct response when your groundhog is dead. But I, I did spend a lot of time reading about this and it turns out that like, so the groundhogs are hibernating, right? They don't wake them up a week before to be like, hey, are you still alive? They just leave them. So it's actually not, and they only, groundhogs only live like three to five years. So it's actually not that uncommon to go there on February 2nd and find that the groundhog has passed away peacefully in its sleep at the natural course of its short little life. And um, they only and live maybe to this be is three just three to five. Yeah, that's, that, that's what the internet said. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I, maybe this whole thing is weird, and we should find something else to do weird. with ourselves in why, the winter. Why do we do this? So I, I have no idea. Is this I? Because you know, maybe this is one of those things where we just don't take it out of the pandemic. We're like, we're leaving that. We'll in just. The before time. I, I mean. It's so in the before times, every time you see a shot of that, it's like two men wearing a top hat. 
Right. <laughs> like still, like the only time an American man puts on a top hat is to do the Groundhog Day thing, as far as I can tell. <laughs> like, That's really you don't wear them to the opera. You don't wear like there's no other instance where a top hat shows up in public life. And yet here we are, you know, checking the groundhog wearing your top hat. I, I don't know. I think we can just leave this very strange thing behind. I think we can. That's uh, that is my, my dream for us. Good dream. <laughs> it's a good goal. I, I, I'm with you on that. Um, late. Well, it wasn't late yesterday. It was like, mm-hmm. I, I always think of it as late as like, if it's after my show, that's like late in my day. Oh, that's so, late. Well, yeah, I um, go to bed at like 1030. So, yeah. <laughs> so late yesterday, the Supreme Court reinstated a mm-hmm. horrible map uh, in the state was- of Alabama. Um, and it essentially again, reiterates the fact that the Supreme Court with this conservative majority is antithetical to voting rights. And yeah, John continue... Roberts actually voted with the the liberals and it's it's not enough. This is what happens when you have right. a 6-3 court. Right. Like this vote was 5-4, but we still lost. Right. And, and, and I found it particularly galling because it, they did the same thing in Alabama that they did in Texas with the abortion vote. A lower court was like, hey, this can't happen. And the Supreme Court was like, nah, we're going to let it. Yep. Like the Alabama court was like, this is horrible. It, it said that the map violated the Voting Rights Act. It said that the map unfairly targeted black voters, uh, limited their ability to elect their chosen candidates. This is all the lower court saying this. Right. This is not my opinion. It's the lower court's opinion. And the Supreme Court looks at that and they're like, yeah, no, that's OK. No, no explanation. Right. The Supreme Court's order includes no reasoning. It's provisional, but it's like, it, just like they did in Texas, they're like, yeah, this crappy thing can stay on the books while we uh, figure it out. We'll hear an appeal, but, uh, but we're not going to do anything about it until we hear the appeal. It's just going to be there. So yeah, we need to expand that court. I feel almost as if so the Supreme Court, I think, is representative of why so many people feel like this whole thing experiment is over. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because, you know, the, the branches are supposed to be co-equal and they're supposed to be, um, you know, kind of checking each other. Functioning? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know what it's I mean? checks like, and balances. They're working, in t- they're working in tandem to ensure that the whole thing works, right? And if right. any one of the institutions is completely broken irrevocably then that's a huge problem for the whole system so the fact that we can't rely on the supreme court to accurately decide what the law is is yeah. is like i don't know what else is more important i think we're done <laughs> like we might be done with this american experiment until we reform as you said and expand the court yeah i i mean the <laughs> The idea that the experiment doesn't need, like that, the, the idea that democracy would work based on the same tactics throughout history, regardless of how things change, it just doesn't make any sense. Like you, you, you have to shore up your house. Like you gotta, you gotta fix things when they break. You gotta realize that circumstances have changed in ways that you didn't. In- I mean, the founding fathers did not anticipate the two-party system, right? Like if our if our democracy is organized around anything, it's not the three branches of government. It's the two party system right now. Yeah. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's the reality. 
And the founders did not anticipate that. Nothing was planned for that. In fact, they anticipated that that any any political parties in opposition would work together. I mean, they originally said the vice president would be the person who got the most votes in the competing party. Right. Like they anticipated that that everybody would have the same goal. And regardless of which political faction you were a part of, you would all work towards it together. And if anything, your differences would make you smarter and sharper, even if it was a little unpleasant to have, you know, your second in command be the guy that tried to beat you. Like they, they liked that. Like that's they because, didn't plan for this because they pre- premised it all upon everyone acting in good faith. Yeah. And the exactly. problem now is that you have an entire political party that every day is just reinforcing the fact that they are not good faith actors within this system. Whether yeah. they be on the Supreme Court or whether they be in elected office. The pandemic should have exposed that for everyone. I think it's like the, the clearest example. These things, yeah. you know, like when people were like, um, you know, the Republicans are, uh, you know, they've become racist. And I'm like, nah, you know, they kind of mm-hmm. always uh, towed the line and used different language to couch the racism, but it was always there. And a lot of people recognized it. And certainly people of color were aware of it, which is why so many of so many black voters did not vote for Republicans. Yeah. Because they heard through the rhetoric and they heard the dog whistle. So Mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, Republicans in this moment are good faith actors, that they would say that the January 6th was legitimate political debate. Right. That the Supreme court would, just say, man, we're going to let this completely blatantly unconstitutional law stand through an election. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is the only reason why it would matter. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're not good faith actors. They're not impartial justices making a, a, a deliberative, you know, ruling on a fundamental right. They're just, they're partisan actors that yeah. are not acting in good faith. And that's the, that's the difference between what the, what the founders intended and what's happening now. And it may be broken to the point where we can't fix it. But well, I think that it would be really a real shame if we just watched it. It's going to be, yeah, it, it will Cruz. break if we don't try to fix it. I mean, maybe we can't fix it, but it needs fixing. <laughs> like it, it won't stand if we don't fix it. I, Nothing was supposed to be this way. Like, I don't know. And, and it, the people who are loudest in championing what the founders intended, originalism, et cetera, like they're the ones who are breaking it. So I guess that's where you get the whole, they're going to wrap themselves in the constitution and set fire to the Capitol. Um, and of course, it, that'll make it easier for them, I guess, to do that. But like, yeah, no, it's, it wasn't supposed to be like this. <laughs> You're not supposed to have a six-three court where all of the, the most of the most of the justices were appointed for the life by presidents that didn't receive the popular vote, and in many cases were completely illegitimate. Like Amy Coney Barrett is completely illegitimate. Neil Gorsuch is completely illegitimate. You can make your case for Thomas and Kavanaugh, right. but Gorsuch and Amy Coney Barrett, like they they shouldn't be there. That right. wasn't supposed to happen. Right. That was wrong. I mean, I, I think you can make a very strong case for Clarence Thomas and Brett Kavanaugh. That's four illegitimate justices out of nine? Are you kidding? In my lifetime, like, rel- like aside from Clarence Thomas, relatively recently. Right. 
I think that's the thing people don't realize because it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a Supreme Court. So we're like, oh, yeah. it's just those old people that have been there for yeah. the, all this time instead of understanding that this has been a very quick. This has been fast. This has been since the Obama end of the Obama administration. Yep. They just rushed it on there because they knew because they know the demographics are shifting. They know they only have a limited amount of time to consolidate power before voters could be like, hey, we don't like any of this, not any of it and any part of it. Right. Right. And, and the pandemic, late. I think the pandemic sped things up a, a little bit, too. That's why I think the, the, the anti-choice laws became just like completely blatant. Like, I yeah. think everything got sped up. Yep. Because they realized yeah. that the pandemic was going to make every all the systemic inequities really clear for people. Like, I think that they're aware that one, we're distracted by the pandemic and two, the pandemic yes. is showing us stuff about how they are not acting in good faith. I mean, the fact that, okay, the political position in this moment, <clears throat> the like on the Republican side is not only that the insurrection was like good and great, um, and those political people were pa- patriots, right. um, but also they're, they're on the side of no masks, no mitigation efforts, no COVID policies. Um, and mm-hmm. we're about to hit a million dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, how is that a good faith actor in a political system? If the if you're on the side of mass death, I don't understand that. I don't understand no. that. I don't understand how we talk about it calmly every day. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. That's why yep. I have to work out so much. Because I'm just yep. like I'm I'm baffled that anybody could support that worldview. But yeah. we are so divided that people default to camps without looking at what <laughs> their side's actually saying sometimes yeah yeah but i mean look they they have they republican operatives have been a distant a different breed like since the 80s maybe a little earlier um and they have seen a long game and there have been men who were closest to the levers of power from lee atwater to steve bannon who who believed that their job was to ensure Republican primacy at all costs. And that was it. That was all they did. And like, you know, we, we might have a like bare knuckled person every now and then we might have a Rahm Emanuel in there every now and then, but we don't, we don't have Lee Atwaters and Carl I mean, but is Rhodes he bare knuckled and... or does he just, no, he like, yeah, you know that's what, what I mean. mean. Like, like, like he's, yeah, he's he I wouldn't want him as a boss, you know, but like he's not engaged in democratic primacy at all costs as a, a like that's not the thing there. Like these men r- truly believed that they needed to create a permanent political majority for Republicans and it did not matter what they broke in the process. And and so they actually know they they're actually sitting in rooms thinking the demographics in the country are changing. Our people are not able to appeal to those people because they they need the racists. So we can't even make the choice that, you know, the, to, to do the the Republican autopsy of 2012, which literally said, like, you guys want to you guys want to win. You got to soften. <laughs> you got to soften the racism. You got to have some stuff for black and brown Americans. And they just chucked it because they can't do that because they are so reliant on this white nationalist base that any faint to to any other demographic is going to alienate the only reliable voters that they have at this point. 
<clears throat> so what does that mean? That means you have to limit the voting. You have to limit the electorate. You have to make sure it's a smaller pool of people who are able to do that. And how can you make sure that you're able to do that? You have the court. Like, yeah. it, it's, it, it was a conversation. It happened. <laughs> like, we, we know this was a strategy. It worked. <laughs> um, and the fact that we, uh, I mean, I don't know what Obama was supposed to do when Mitch McConnell held the Senate. Um, I don't like, I don't know what we were supposed to do to stop that. But um, it Dahlia was Lithwick more. Has a lot of good ideas. <laughs> that, well, well, it, I, I, I say this all the time. Dolly Lithwick is the person who in t- 2009 explained this on a panel at netroots yeah and i she exploded my brain uh-huh. and i was like oh shit <laughs> yeah, like at. i was like oh shit um i know i'm not supposed to curse before 8 a.m but or at all <laughs> but you know it was warranted um and yes. basically what she was saying is we were talking about the, the context was it might have been 2010 because it was like a you know the wave of tarp laws and anti-choice bills that were on the state level sound familiar mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it was sort of getting at row, but around the edges, right? Limiting mm-hmm. access as opposed to limiting completely the right altogether. Right. Um, and so she was explaining how the Obama administration had not adequately prioritized federal, you know, filling the federal bench with progressive justices because right. um, they are sort of the backstop. I'm not progressive justices, but like, Justices who are not bad faith partisan actors, um, n- not that they're that on the left, but that they're more progressive um, in sort of their jurisprudence, and they would be the backstop for any progressive legislation that would be passed. So, say right. you do pass Obamacare, well, you know, like we all were sitting there that day refreshing SCOTUS blog to see if we would still have health care, like that would not be happening if there were more justices on the federal level below the Supreme Court, like in the pipeline to the Supreme Court, but also on on the federal bench to protect those pieces of legislation and civil rights for everybody, mm-hmm. right? So she explained this, and I was like, uh, we're not doing that at all. We are so, yeah. so screwed. And she, she basically was saying, like, the right has a strategy. This is what they're doing, and this is their goal. And this is how they're doing it. And mm-hmm. we just were caught flat-footed. I think... The Biden administration has learned from that mistake of the Obama administration. Now, there was a lot going on during the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is one of those things that I think if you were being honest, it slipped through the cracks a bit. The Biden administration. Yeah, I think that's not not letting it slip. You know, they are being more aggressive with confirming justices to the federal bench um, so far in their first year. But that it's a huge problem. It's like. Again, there's three parts to the system, and if one of them isn't working right, um, we're in trouble. And more than <laughs> yes. one of them isn't working right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um, it's really bad. <laughs> I think we're in a very precarious position. And I think everybody, I mean, everybody who's paying attention feels it. It's just the, the, I, the urgency isn't always there. Um. I think you know because we because we 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 narrowly escaped you know a second term of Trump like we so there was that massive relief which was warranted massive relief but um 
but the cracks are still there. And we know from history that they never try to overthrow a, 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 a democracy once. <laughs> like that nobody coos once. Like that, that- Unless they're those, successful. <laughs> right, and then you only have to do it the once. But right. like, it, it's, you know, they're, they're forming an opposition to American democracy. Like there is now an anti-democratic opposition that is within this country, active, organized, um, running for office, <laughs> like taking electoral clerk roles. Like there, it's you know, the next time they try this, they're going to be way more entrenched. Yeah. I I don't know if it works without the secret sauce of Donald Trump or whatever, but like, <clears throat> this is incredibly precarious. We're in an incredibly precarious time. Like I've never felt, I've never felt like this about midterm elections. Like I care about midterm elections, obviously, but I've never felt like. Like, I feel like 2020 about these midterms. Yeah. Like, it's that it's that important. Well, each each election, you know, in the Trump era is life and death, basically. And we didn't think yeah, that I guess was that's true it. before COVID, but it became crystal clear. If you were mistake, if you were, like, under any illusions, it became very clear during COVID that it was life and death. You're voting to stay alive. You're voting for policies to keep you literally alive. Um, the, the, the thing that gives me a little hope okay just a little Mm -hmm. um and for any of the people who are parents of gen z or gen z yourselves like listening right now Mm -hmm. so i don't i don't anymore want to have the conversation about them running for office and them running for school board and then infiltrating you know the levers of power there's nothing stopping people who have an opposing viewpoint or believe in democracy frankly yeah from running themselves that is, there's nothing stopping them from doing that. And so the idea that they can just like march right in and Marjorie Taylor Greens and the world and Louis Gohmert can just march right in as if they are the best from their district is bullshit. And we know that's true. Yeah. So instead of watching our democracy crumble, I think, you know, whether it's volunteering for campaigns, whether it's running ourselves, whether it's donating $5, everybody can do something. Yes. <laughs> everyone and this is the time to do it this is the time to do it see at the beginning of the trump administration we started this show signal boost with this Mm -hmm. idea that like we all needed to become part of a resistance to this authoritarian movement what we saw as an authoritarian movement going back to the very beginning of when i started here at sirius xm all of that has become true we are now in covid there are about to be a million people dead do you think we were wrong was anything that we said were wrong about the danger posed no when I sat in my office every day and stared at the TV and was like, we're all going to die any second now. I feel a little vindicated in the fact that I was correct. <laughs> I'm un- it's unfortunate, but I was correct. I didn't know how. <laughs> I didn't know how. But I was like, there's going to be a really bad emergency. And we don't have the leadership in place to handle it. This is really yeah. scary. And now yeah. it's even more scary because we're electing more incompetent people on the local level. But there's no reason why that incompetent person cannot have a competent progressive person on the other side you're 100 percent correct if everybody if if everybody who is who is scared or aware <laughs> even of what's happening makes makes solving it stopping it fighting it a, a small part of their day their week um we'll win we'll win because there are more of us we'll win because our ideas are better 
will win because of you know compassion and love and all of that stuff that like actually makes humanity work you, that does win like that does win um it just takes action it takes a lot of action because uh, it's really hard to drown out how loud that minority is um and how destructive they are you know if you don't have to you know if you're not fighting for any principles then it doesn't matter what you knock over in the process there's nothing sacred um but there are more of us and uh and we just, you know, we just have to be, we have to be focused and we have to be engaged and we have to be energized in a different way than we usually are during midterms this year. Um, but so far you I'm to, seeing, we, yes, seeing signs that it's channel, happening. Channel your frustration and your, yeah. your fear, right? Your, your fear, your anxieties, you channel that into working on behalf of the democracy. You just yeah. channel it. How do you think I ended up on the Obama campaign in 2008? Yeah. Exactly. I was like, I am angry and stressed. I just lived through the Bush administration, which at the time was the worst we one. We thought it was so bad. We thought it oh, was boy. so bad. I in marched hindsight, in the street. In hindsight. Mm. <laughs> it was pretty bad, actually. It was really bad. <laughs> but uh, but um, in hindsight, it wasn't a million people dead. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. And have been we, simply, we simply lacked imagination. We were not wrong about how bad it was. No, no, it no, truly it was, was bad. that it bad. It was very bad. We just lacked the imagination to see how much worse it could get. Oh, here we are. Ooh. Great. I'm glad we can live through it. So, yeah, the Bush administration was the worst one before. And so I ended up on the Obama campaign because I said to myself, yeah, I'm going to complain. I'm going to complain if a Republican wins. And I want to at least be able to complain with the knowledge that I have done everything that I could personally do to make it different. Exactly. I I had the 2000 election. The 2000 election happened. I voted for Al Gore. Well, first I voted for Bill Bradley, but then I voted for (laughs) Al Gore. And uh, I have a great streak of never picking the president in the primary. Like it ended with uh, Obama in 08. But for a while there, I just never once got it right. Anyway, um, but I did vote for Al Gore. And then, you know, that thing happened. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I care more about this than just about anything else. So why don't I move to Washington, D.C. and see what I can do to help? (laughs) Right. Like, we don't need you to change your career. We just need you to pick up the phone and, you know, door knock for your neighbors and see what the local elections are in your in your area and maybe run for office yourself. And like, you don't have to. The other cool thing. But hey, if you're listening to this and you're just getting out of college, you don't know what to do with your life do this. No, this is it. (laughs) But the thing is, is like, that's what I'm saying. If there's parents or anybody listening um and it really doesn't matter what profession you're in because we've explained the show that a campaign is a mini corporation with a whole bunch of different departments so like if you're a graphic designer and maybe you're a freelancer or maybe you're out of work right now or maybe you hate your boss there are campaigns that need a graphic designer you just need like the the idea that like people that work on campaigns are all communications people like on the west wing that's not oh, yeah. true no 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 it's they everybody. didn't show the digital people on the west wing i mean i don't know if that existed in like 1999 but the point is that you know they there are <laughs> other job there's somebody who like organizes all of like the events are do you are you a caterer <laughs> you know what yes, i mean exactly like, literally whatever skill you, you have you are you an event product. planner yes. are you an event planner um are you simply are- a very organized person Correct. Because there are jobs for those. There's like that. When there are schedulers. There's, there's advanced that. teams. Like I, politics is one of the only places where you can walk in and be like, "Hi, I'm smart and I'll work hard." And they're like, "Cool, <laughs> get to work." Like that's that's about even, it. And you don't have to have the exact specific skills because you're going to gain nope. that by experience and the people around you. 
Um, but I, I honestly think, I mean, it is the way to be an engaged citizen in this moment. It is, it is the pro-democracy position. Yeah. And that's where I'm at. It's not, a, it's not even, at this point, it's like, I were, and, and, you know, one of the things I think a lot about is when I got to the office in 2008, one of the other field organizers um, was a libertarian. Mm-hmm. And you know why he was there? Same reason I was there. Because the, yeah. <laughs> the Iraq war was like final yep. straw. And we were, I was like, yep. we're not doing this again. I'm not, I can't, I can't do this again. I can't live through another president um, that would lie to our faces to start a whole war. That's, I'm not yep. doing that. So he nope. was there for the same reason on the other side of the political spectrum. So again, it's pro-democracy mm-hmm. at this point. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.